Friends who are headed to the toddler nursery and children's church to be dismissed at this time. Those of us who will be remaining in the sanctuary, if you would please turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 as we continue our series together. Songs for our Savior. Psalm 23. Beginning in verse 1, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this truth, this psalm. Father, for what it has meant to so many over the years and What hopefully it will mean for us this morning as we walk through it and we evaluate the joy and the blessing and the benefit of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ being our shepherd. The kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness that he extends toward us by caring for us as his sheep. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. So this is one of those texts where those of you who've been around for a while know that my preferred English translation is the New American Standard Bible. Um, And this is one of those moments where reading a text, I feel weird reading it like this. Because most all of us at some point or other in our lives have either heard and or committed to memory the the rendering of Psalm 23 from the King James Version of the Bible. You know, even when I was reading it just now, there were spots where I wanted to change the wording because it just didn't sound like it was rolling off the tongue quite appropriately. And and before we get into the, the sermon proper, you know, this this psalm has been used abundantly in people's lives as a, a, a great and magnificent way um, to just... Just know and trust in the goodness of the Lord and his leadership in our lives. Lots of funerals that this has been shared at, lots of graveside places that this has been shared at. A lot of people find comfort in the psalm. And there's a story. I I usually don't start with stories, so you guys will forgive me because I do this like once every like eight years. So there's a story about a guy who his his work, if you will, he was a, a theatrical person. He was an actor and he, he did a lot of things like that. And one of his talents was being able to do dramatic renderings of historical writings and speeches. And so he would go and put on these shows and people would buy tickets to come and hear him like cite famous speeches and to cite famous things and to do them in a really dramatic way. And it was just enthralling to listen to him say this stuff. And he had gotten to the place where toward the end of some of his shows, he would call out to the crowd 
And he would say, give me a famous something that you would like for me to quote. He didn't have any notes. He'd say, give me something famous that you would like for me, something that's well known that you would like for me to do. And people would call out different things, you know, speeches from great world leaders and stuff. And he would do them. And he was at an event one time and he said, I, I want someone in the crowd to give me something to cite, to, to, to do. And an older, older, much older gentleman, uh, well into his late 80s, early 90s in the back, called out, do the 23rd Psalm. And the guy said, can we get a light on the gentleman who just called that out? And the gentleman was back there and he was in his seat and he was leaning on a cane and had well worn from the many years that he had lived. And he looked at the gentleman and he said, sir, what is it that you have done with your life? What, what is it that, that you have spent your life's work doing? And he said, for 65 years, I have been a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, I'll tell you what, sir, I'll do the 23rd Psalm. If when I'm done, you do the 23rd Psalm. And he said, OK, OK, that's fine. We'll do that. And so this guy gave a rendering of the 23rd Psalm and everybody was just clapping. They were so excited and it just sounded so wonderful. And he said, OK, sir, you know, it's fair is fair. You said you would do it. And so the gentleman that called out the 23rd Psalm began to also cite the 23rd Psalm. And when he was done, no one clapped. But everyone in the room was weeping. And they asked the man who was putting on the performance, they said, what was the difference? Why did everyone applaud you? But they wept when he did it. He said, because I know the Psalm, but he knows the shepherd. And friends, this is a powerful Psalm. There's a reason why so many of us gravitate toward this psalm. Listen to how it starts. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, most of us in the room aren't shepherds today, so it doesn't quite ring the same bell for us as it does during David's time. But let's kind of walk through what a shepherd is, what a shepherd does, particularly in David's time. Shepherd had three main roles for the sheep. First, there was protection. That was the main job of the shepherd. To protect the sheep. Protect the sheep from what? Well, the natural response would be outside enemies, dangerous environments. But quite honestly, the biggest job of the shepherd was to protect the sheep from themselves. Because sheep are really dumb animals. And they just wander off and do really dumb things. I mean, that's, that's just true, you know I mean? Oh, hey, here's some grass. Here's some grass. I'm going to eat some grass. Not noticing the cliff that the grass falls off. Ah! Fall to their death just eating grass. Someone needs to be there to help protect them. To keep them safe from themselves, from enemies, from the environment that they find themselves in. That's what shepherds do. David told a story as a shepherd. And this really resonates because David was a shepherd. It's very personal to him. And David tells the story of rescuing his sheep from the mouths, dangerous animals. When he tells the story of fighting against Goliath, he says, God has delivered these animals in my hands. Certainly he'll deliver this enemy of the most high God into my hands. So there's protection that comes here. Shepherds are also supposed to guide. It'd be really nice if they just had a big pen back in the day with a fence and a farm and they could just let the sheep go in there and close the gate and let them wander around and everything would be fine. But they had to move them from one feeding ground to the other. And they had to make sure that they didn't lose any of them along the way. There was guidance that had to happen. The sheep had to trust the shepherd and the shepherd had to know where he was going and he had to help guide the sheep to safe places. And then provision. 
It wouldn't do us any good if the shepherd protected the sheep and if the shepherd guided the sheep. And when he was guiding the sheep, he guided them to rocky places with no grass to eat. (laughs) Wouldn't be a very good shepherd if he did that. Makes provision for them, finding them places where they can eat and where they can drink and where they can lie down in safety. So let's look at the benefits then from the psalm of the Lord as our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I do not lack in any of the things that I truly need. That's the benefit, one of the main benefits of the Lord being our shepherd. Notice I didn't say the things that I want. Notice I didn't say the things I would like to have. Notice I didn't even say the circumstances that I would prefer. When it says here in the psalm, I shall not want, the the language there is receiving all those things that are necessary. I do not lack in any needed thing. That's what happens when the Lord is our shepherd. Everything that I truly need is mine. So let's let's look. It kind of breaks down the list a little bit. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still or quiet waters. What is what does that mean? Green pastures for a sheep means you have plenty of food to eat. Still waters, quiet waters means you have plenty of water to drink. And we could just keep it at the raw physical there. Well, he made sure that you were able to eat and drink. But notice what's happening here. Causes me to lie down in those green pastures. And he just, just doesn't lead me by water. He leads me by quiet, still water. What is going on here? The sheep is able to enjoy all that they need in absolute peace. Now, does that mean that there aren't enemies around? Does that mean that there aren't the possibility of trying circumstances around? Does that mean that Things may not be on the precipice of going awry. No, it doesn't mean any of those things. There could be wolves right behind the tree. There could be dangerous places in the natural environment. There could be disease on the horizon. Just because the sheep is lying down in the green pasture by quiet waters and experiencing a profound level of peace doesn't mean that the environment itself doesn't have great potential for violence and danger and frustration and pain and fear. Why is the sheep able to lay down like this in this environment? Because the shepherd is there. And the sheep has come to realize I don't need to be worried about the peripheral circumstantial realities. I just need to be worried about the shepherd. And he told me that this place is a safe place for me to lie down. 
and a safe place for me to eat and a safe place for me to drink. And I will find my peace in the presence of the shepherd. And not in the circumstances I find myself in. Friends, the beautiful thing about the shepherd is that wherever he takes you, that pasture is green. Wherever he takes you, those waters are quiet and still. Even if it's raging. Because you know what? Peter walked out on a raging sea one time as if that water were quiet and still. Why? Because he was in the presence of the shepherd. I don't like anything I truly need. And one of the things that I truly need in my life is real, meaningful peace. And it only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, look at what it says in verse three. What do we receive as a benefit from the Lord being our shepherd? It says that he restores my soul. There's a restoration of soul that takes place. It's the language of turning the soul back. A return to a proper state. It's not really the same kind of word that's used when it talks about repentance. It's more the idea of something that was a certain way that has been broken or marred. Returning back to the state that it was in. And friends, our souls... Because of sin have been marred. There's a separation between us and our God because of our sin. And more than just me turning away from a wayward path, there also must be a restoring of my soul. God must, as it says in Ephesians, make me his workmanship. Masterpiece. A work of art. He must restore the image to me. And this is what's happening here. Restores my soul. And in the process of restoring our soul, he gives us this peace. He restores our soul. And in the process of doing these things, a transformation of life takes place when the Lord is our shepherd. Notice what it says. It says, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's a transformation of life. Friends, left to myself, I will not walk the path of righteousness. I won't. Friend, left to yourself, you will not walk the path of righteousness. You just won't. You will follow a pathway of certain self-destruction if you are left to yourself. Every one of us will be that one sheep among the 99, that, among the 100 that Jesus told the story about who went wandering off on their own. That's us. Left to ourselves, we follow a path of destruction, not a path of righteousness. So what does God do in his kindness to us with Jesus Christ as our shepherd? He guides us in paths of righteousness, transformation of life. 
We go wandering off over here, surely going to fall off the cliff or be eaten by a wild animal. And he throws that hook on the end of his shepherd's staff around our neck. And he says, nope, you probably need to go this way. And he does it for our good and for his glory. And we see that. Why does he do this for us? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. One of the things that God has been kind to show me over the years that I had other people instill into my life. Anytime anyone ever says to you that they think that you're doing something right and well. Give all the glory to God in Christ. Because, friend, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. And there's people in this world who are still alive that you can have conversations with about the Philip before Jesus and the Philip since Jesus. And they can affirm for you that all the good that has ever come from me has been because of Jesus. He has guided me in paths of righteousness, not for my sake, for his name's sake. That he might receive all the glory and honor of a life transformed. What's another benefit? We, we, we don't lack any of the things that we truly need. And one of the main things that we truly need is peace. Peace with God. Peace with others. Peace with ourselves. Peace with our, our circumstances. There needs to be a restoration of our soul. There needs to be a transformation of life. And then there needs to be no fear of ultimate judgment. Now, those of you who are a copious note takers, you will notice that there are some sub sub points in your notes today. I usually don't include those. I've done this for your benefit so you can take a look later. Now, if you are one among us who still loves to use and is still using the King James Bible, this will not resonate with you because just about every way that they translate this in the King James Bible is shadow of death. They were super consistent in the way that they did their translation in the KJV. Most every other modern version of the English Bible does not do this. In the Psalms... This phrase that we all love, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the only way it's translated shadow of death is in the Psalms, in most English Bibles. Everywhere else, and I have listed literally the everywhere else for you in your notes today. That's all the places that this phrase is used. Everywhere else, it is not translated like that. It's most predominantly used in the book of Job. Job does not use it this way. So in English, what does it sound like? It sounds like the valley of the shadow of death. That's how it's translated. In the Hebrew, how does it sound? It's the valley of gloom or the valley of deep darkness. That's what it, that's what it, there's a completely different word in the Hebrew for death and it's not this word. And so what does that mean? What's going on here? How is it used in the other places? When Job uses it, 
It's not used classically as we understand the idea of death. And the reason why I'm making this point today is that I think in the older days when they were working through the English translation, especially in the King James time period, they had a better understanding of what they they were trying to say, a more poetic way they were trying to say it. And over time, we kind of lose the oomph behind it. And we just think of death as, well, just physically dying. Oh, even though I'm in those environments, I've even heard people preach it like this. Even though I'm in those places and those environments where I might die, I'm not afraid of dying. And that's not what's going on here. That's not what's happening here at all. That's actually kind of trite compared to what's happening here. What is the psalmist trying to communicate with this phrase that's best translated the valley of gloom or the valley of deep darkness? What is he trying to say? It it started to carry with it a weight in the Hebrew mindset, particularly in Hebrew poetry. Of that which is so overwhelming and oppressive that you would rather die than experience it. In some instances, it actually became kind of a a metaphor for the underworld. For the place where the wicked dead would go. It carried with it sort of this judgment reality behind it. But the way that Job regularly uses it in his gloom of the oppression of life, he says, might the day of my birth cease to be and be like the shadow of deep darkness or gloom. In other words, it would be better if we could go back in time and strike the day of my birth from ever having had happen than for me to be experiencing what I'm experiencing right now. That's way heavier than just, hey, I might die. There's an emotional and psychological and spiritual weight that comes with this that is far beyond a concern about physically dying. And so when David talks about walking through this valley of the shadow of death, he is saying those darkest moments of life Where death itself would be better than experiencing what I'm experiencing right now. And notice he didn't say, God, I'm not ever going to go through that because you're my shepherd and my peace and I'm lying down in these green pastures. Not what he says. Even though I walk through the valley of this dark gloom. Friends, it's not a question of if you will walk through that place, but when and how often and for how long. Because you will go there. Some overwhelming experience of life will hit you right in the face. And you will come to recognize and acknowledge that there's no getting out of the circumstances for a long period of time. It is just your new normal and how life's going to be. And it will be overwhelming. Is your shepherd still not your shepherd in this moment? God is so kind to us to give us a verse like this in the middle of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, unless I walk through that valley of deep darkness and gloom. No, Even though I walk through that valley of deep darkness and gloom. What's he going to do? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. The shepherd's still there. The shepherd is still there. 
The pasture doesn't seem quite as green and the water doesn't seem quite as still, but the shepherd is still there. And the response of the sheep, I still have peace. Not because my environment is peaceful like the one that we were just talking about, but because my shepherd gives me peace. I will fear no evil for you are with me. It's like the little kid. He's learning to not be afraid of the dark. And there they go. They're headed to the bedroom. Mom or dad's walking them up. They get really brave when mom or dad is with them. The dark's not nearly so scary of a place when mom or dad is there. Friends, I want to tell you the place of deep darkness. The valley of great gloom is a terrifying place. And you cannot walk through it without the shepherd. You just can't. And I would contend that most of you who are experiencing your greatest struggles right now is because you're trying to walk through that place without the shepherd. Jesus, I got this. I got this. And off you go. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And then there's a twofold reality of why the benefit of God being with us in that valley is there. For your rod... And your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd's rod and staff, two very distinct uses. One was to beat off enemies. Two was to hook wayward sheep to keep those dumb animals from going the wrong way. God, I find great comfort in the lowest places of life, knowing that you're so sovereignly in control that you will ward off my enemies and you'll keep me from doing stupid stuff. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because left to myself, I'm going to do some stupid stuff. And I'm just going to trust God that he's going to keep me from doing stupid stuff, even at the worst times of my life. Because, friends, that's usually when we do it, is at the worst and lowest times of our life. When we're not thinking clearly and we're not seeing the world well and we're ignoring the things of God. We do the craziest stuff when we're at our emotionally lowest points. And we here with the psalmist can call out and say to God, God, thank you that you're the kind of shepherd that will keep me from being the worst version of myself. Thank you. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Not only does he give us all of these things, but he also gives us supreme victory. Victory in every way. Look at verse five. I love verse five. To use the modern words that all the kiddos are using today. Verse five is full of swagger. Look at what it says. You Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You want to talk about ultimate victory? Like 
ultimate victory? Go walk into your enemy's house. Sit down at your enemy's table and have God himself fix you a meal in your enemy's kitchen. Yo, Satan, bring me a sandwich. Send nature and death and judgment. I need a refreshment of my beverage, please. I need you to come serve me because you are defeated. You're not in this fight anymore. You're now a slave to my God and he wants you to feed me. Man, that's like, what? You talk about victory. I mean, can you imagine two championship athletic teams playing each other? And instead of getting a trophy, it's like, if we win, we get to come to your house whenever we want to. And you got to fix us dinner. Like, forget the championship ring. Y'all need to come bring us some grub, man. That's what you need to do. Get on in the kitchen and fix me something to eat. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Which, by the way, guess what that means? The enemy's not eating. Do you ever think about that when you've read the psalm? What is the picture of feasting in the Bible? The picture of feasting is God's blessing. God's goodness, God's provision. Good relational standing with the Lord. Who's not eating here? The enemy. He is not in good standing with the Lord. He is not having God's relational provision. He is not receiving God's blessing. He has now become subject to those who are receiving God's blessing. And what does the scripture teach us that happens? We will put with God our foot on the neck of our enemy. That's what we'll do. Ultimate victory comes when he is our shepherd. Which means, friends, why do you and I keep being defeated by our enemy all the time? We keep losing fights that Jesus has already won. Why why do we do that? I do it all the time. I lose fights that Jesus has already won all the time. That doesn't make any sense. The victory is already ours. There's no reason for us to keep losing in the walk of life. For we have been given life and life abundantly. Jesus Christ has already made a spectacle of the powers and principalities upon the cross. He has taken the old man and wrapped him in the new man. All the old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. This is what Jesus has done for us. Satan is a toothless, caged animal who has been thrown down by the power of Jesus Christ already. Jesus is now currently plundering that strong man's house and giving us the full reward of being victors with Him. We are currently seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, clothed in His righteousness. Why do we keep losing fights? Jesus has already won. Why do we do that? 
It's because we, like dumb sheep, wander off thinking we can get by just fine without our shepherd. And Jesus is standing over there going, Why are you jumping off a cliff over there? I I brought you to green pastures. They're right here. What are you doing? And then finally, we get ultimate blessing. Ultimate blessing. You have anointed my head with oil. There are so many anointing motifs to be found in the Old Testament. We don't have nearly the time to cover all of them. There's anointing that happens in religious worship in the Old Testament. There's anointing that happens in the priesthood in the Old Testament. There's anointing that happens for the prophetic work in the Old Testament. There's anointing that happens in the kingship in the Old Testament. There's so many usages of the idea of anointing that takes place. And of course, the word for anointed in the Old Testament is the same word that we get the word Messiah from. The one who's been separated out and set apart. We have been separated out and set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. I am not what I was. And I never will be that thing again. I was an enemy, an outsider, and an orphan. And now I'm a friend, I'm a child, and I'm a citizen. This is who I am because of Jesus Christ. He has anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Philip, you don't know how hard it is. Yes, but do you have Jesus? I'm not trying to be trite. I'm not trying to be petty. I'm not trying to be small. I don't care how hard it is. All of us at some point have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. We understand what it means for it to be hard. But that's not bigger than our shepherd. And our shepherd, you know what he said he has done for us? He has caused our cup to overflow. Say, but Philip, I don't feel blessed and I don't feel safe and I don't feel secure and I don't feel hope and I don't feel peace and I don't I don't see an end to this. And I don't I th- me, I, me, I, me, I quit looking at you and look at the shepherd. Look at the cup the shepherd has given you. He has given you Forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Your cup overflows. And what's the conclusion to all of this? This is what I love about this psalm. What is the conclusion to all of this? Surely. Goodness. And. Old translation, mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A couple of interesting translation things here. The conclusion, eternal life. That word that's translated in almost every English Bible at the beginning of verse 6 that says surely. Can also and most readily usually is translated as the word Only. 
I want to read it that way. Because surely implies, well, in this likely what's going to happen. Surely this is what will happen because God said it's going to take place. You know, as sure as God is sure, I'm certain. No, no. Let's let's read it the other way. Only goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We don't want to translate it like that. We don't want to say it like that because we want to leave a little wiggle room to talk about all the bad stuff that still happens to us. Oh no, there's too much bad stuff that's in my life. I can't say that only goodness will follow me. I can't say that only mercy will follow me because look, I got to leave room for all the bad stuff in my I got to leave room for the valley of the shadow of death. So we can't say only. No, friends, if the Lord is your shepherd and if he has caused your cup to overflow, guess what? Only goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That doesn't mean every circumstance you face will be good. It doesn't mean every situation that you face will be good. But what will follow you wherever you go is the goodness of God. And it doesn't matter what circumstance you find yourself in. It will be there with you. God's goodness and God's mercy will only and always be where you are, no matter where you find yourself. So if like Paul, you find yourself preaching the gospel and people being saved and coming to know the Lord, or if you find yourself locked in a Roman prison or you find yourself on Nero's chopping block, it doesn't matter. Because goodness and mercy are following you. Wherever you go. <clears throat> and I want you to notice this last part. This last part is beautiful. I love this. I love. I really do love this. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's, it's moments like these where I get bothered by what does get lost in translation. That word for dwell... is the exact same word that was used at the beginning of the psalm in verse 3 when it said, He restores my soul. And I will be restored in the house of the Lord forever. That's got a way different feel to it. Than dwelling does. Because here's the deal friend. If we're to take the creation story seriously at all. God made man from the dust of the earth. Says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That is the same Old Testament word for spirit. He made him a spiritual being. And it says that he took that man. And the woman that he'd made. And he placed them in a sacred space. Specifically designed for them and their worship of the Most High God. And their sin made them to where they could not dwell or live or abide in that space any longer. And what is now needed for me is to be restored Into the house of the Lord. And if I even want to think about dwelling there. I have to be remade to where I can dwell there. And David closes this psalm with that promise. 
and I will be restored into the house of the Lord. Not temporarily, but forever. When we have the Lord as our shepherd, we have the promise of eternal life. Our broken image restored in such a way that we now are in the house of the Lord forever. With only goodness and mercy following us all the days of our life, which are eternal. Because how long am I going to dwell in this house that I've been restored for forever? Why do I get to be there forever? Because God's goodness and mercy is with me all the days of my life. Friends, I don't know everything that everybody's going through. There's just no way I could. I don't know what valley of the shadow of death you're facing. I don't know if you're in the joyful aspect of life where you are lying down In green pastures. But I know this. No matter what you're facing currently in your life. If you have repented of your sins. If you have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in the scripture. Who confesses with his mouth. And believes in his heart. Shall be saved. If the Lord Jesus Christ, as he says in the Gospel of John, is your good shepherd who has laid his life down for his sheep. If that is you and you find yourself under the care of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Here's what I do know this morning. Your cup overflows. The shepherd Is with you. His goodness. And his mercy. Only will follow you. All the days of your life. And you have been restored. Into his house. Forever. Which should make whatever you're facing right now. Seem quite small. And insignificant. By comparison. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is our shepherd. He calls himself the good shepherd. He has laid his life down for his sheep. He calls out his sheep's name. They hear his voice and they follow him And Father, if this morning we find ourselves to be among your flock, to be one of your sheep because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, Father, teach us the truth that you give us peace, that you supply all of our needs, that you give us ultimate victory over our enemies. And you give us life abundant and eternal. And Father, when, not if, but when 
we walked through the valley of gloom, of deep darkness, of death. By your grace and for your glory, teach us to fear no evil. Because you are with us. Father, I thank you. Even in that beautiful story that Jesus teaches us. And that we alluded to earlier. Where you leave the 99 and you pursue after the one. Father, I thank you that we know. That even when you're chasing the one, you haven't truly left the 99 because you are an ever present God. And you readily remain in the green pasture with your sheep while simultaneously walking with other sheep through the valley of darkness. Let us be overwhelmed with gratefulness and worship for your compassion to us as our good shepherd. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing a song of response together.